0: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show.
1: Thank you, Scott, and welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Here's what's ahead in the next 60 minutes. It is the final countdown, if you will. We are an hour away from the Fed's first decision and news conference of the year, and the main thing to watch is not a change in interest rates. We'll explain. Plus, you know Apple's quarter was a big one. But there may be one area of concern that CEO Tim Cook raised that caught the attention of some investors we will dig in. And a warning from Starbucks, restaurants battle it out over fake meat, Facebook faces a big quarter, and Boeing CEO boosts investor confidence. We'll get to all that, but let's begin with today's markets in the green once again. And Dom All right. They
2: were in the green most of the day, but they did dip red at one point, Brian. So we are building on yesterday's gains. As you can see, the Dow Jones up by about 115 points. That's just about a half a percent to the upside. The S&P 500 at the highs was up about 16 points at the lows. They're down about five. So we're stuck right in the middle. there still, though, quarter percent gains. And of course, the Nasdaq up about one third of one percent. Now, one of the big themes that we're watching What growth stocks, technology, communication services, those types of names have done outperformance-wise versus value-more oriented, those types of names. Over the last year, two ETFs that track it, look at this. It's more than double performance in terms of those growth-type stocks versus value. That gap getting even wider here in the first part of 2020. We'll see if that trend continues. And then the stock of the day we're just about 3% away from record highs in McDonald's shares. Again, just about 3% away from those record levels. We're up a huge, just since around this October area, 11% to the upside for McDonald's. Better than expected profits, sales in line. But the important part, Brian, to you here, McDonald's, U.S. and global same-store sales, established restaurant location sales growth, better than expected. I'll send things back over to you.
1: All right, Dominic, Chu, Dom, thank you very much. All right, let's begin the hour with the countdown to the Fed decision. The Federal Reserve expected by basically everybody to hold interest rates steady. So the focus today is likely not on rates, but instead on the Fed's balance sheet, which has been expanding like a balloon at a kid's party. It's been buying $60 billion in T-bills every month since September. For more on the Fed and the markets and their connection, we're joined by Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. Subhadra Rajapai is head of U.S. rate strategy at Societe Generale. And Joe Chief Economist of America's at Natixis, Subadra, we'll begin with you. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought this is gonna be a non event, a non event Fed meeting, and then we have the coronavirus kick in and real global growth worries. Does that change the Fed's thinking and statement and press conference?
3: Um, probably not over the near term, because I think it's still too early to sort of gauge what the impact of the coronavirus is going to be on the global economy. But the bond market is starting to send some very clear signals that, that there's a little bit of concern. If you look at the decline in 10-year in, uh, in Treasury yields, it's been quite dramatic over the last two weeks. Breakevens are back to where they were uh, back you know, in, in August when things were starting to unravel, you know, 116, 10-year uh, breakevens. And also, if you look at real yields, real yields are close to zero. The big so what, that, what does that
1: tell you? What is the bond market then? What, what message is it sending?
3: The market's actually starting to price in cuts uh, for, for this year. I mean, it was not in the, in the price even a couple of weeks ago. Now there's, a, there's roughly, I'd say, one cut priced in for the second half.
1: Joe, are we
4: getting a rate cut this year? We, uh, we won't, in my view, because the economy is going to surprise people to the upside. I'm very bullish on growth. Uh, Will we get a rate, rate hike, hike this year? We won't get a rate hike, but if the Fed is smart, I'd like the Fed to cut rates. The Fed cutting rates would be great because I believe the yield curve needs to be steeper. Inflation expectation, real yields higher. So to me, my growth outlook doesn't suggest Fed needs to cut, although I like a cut. It's an insurance cut. Uh, Mark, I think is probably too pessimistic uh, on on, on growth. Uh, But the key thing is the Fed's balance sheet, as I know we'll talk about. That needs to keep growing
1: and the market has grown with it. Brian Belsky, one of our favorite charts lately, and I'm not saying it's a good chart, is the S&P against the Fed's balance sheet going back about 6 months and they're pretty much going up evenly with each other. You recently raised your S&P 500 target to 3675. How much if any of that is only because of the Federal
5: Reserve? <laughs> well, first off, or maybe 66- none of it. Well, 3675 is our best case scenario. We're still at 3400, but I would say this is that when you have a market that was multiple led, right? But I think we're transitioning this year. We're on Joe's camp that we're heading into more of an earnings-driven market. So the majority of the upside that we've seen is multiple-driven last year, especially in the fourth quarter. And what that chart shows you is that cheap money, lower risk-free risk-free rate, higher risk premium. That's what how models are put together in, in very simplistic ways, Brian. But we think simply. What's happening with the bond market is similar to what happened in August is that foreign investors are coming back and buying dollar-denominated assets, whether or not it's equities, bonds, or the dollar, because we are the stability traders. Well, it is
1: simplistic. I mean, I'll put it this way. For our our viewers, who may be like, oh, the Fed and rates. How about this? You have a credit card payment of $200 a month. Rates go down. You get a new credit card, pay off that balance. Now your monthly payment is $150. You now have $50 in free cash flow. Companies are doing the same thing. Are they not? Which then frees them up to do what? Buy back equities
5: and drive earnings per share. Correct. Correct. Now, but the key key thing on the consumer side that I think most people are missing, we've had such a secular change, Brian, in terms of how much people are saving money and how they're smarter on the consumption side versus 10 years ago. And that's that's a big change. On the corporate side, we do think heading into later in 2020 and into 2021, we're going to, get to see, see some semblance of CapEx we haven't seen in our country for over 20 years. I think that's a key metric that is also going to help this whole notion that we believe is that 2020 is going to see the earnings trough. And we're going to have more of an earnings-driven market the second half of the year. Yeah, the consumer is in phenomenal shape. Uh, Brian alluded to high savings rate, extraordinarily low
4: debt service burdens. Low energy prices. Low energy prices prices, uh, but also household debt to income is at a 20-year low. I mean, other than a couple of specific sectors which have some fragility, mm-hmm. broadly speaking, in aggregate, the consumer looks great. And how bearish can you be in the economy if the consumer is in good shape? Well,
1: how about this? Let's just switch gears. I'm not going to ask. No way am I walking you down that political line. Do not worry. <laughs> however, however, we got a trillion-dollar deficit. Yep. And we have candidates that are promising a lot of stuff, which is going to cost a lot of money. Do deficits matter anymore, Mm -hmm. and if so, how?
3: Well, I think they do matter, right? I mean, I think the the difference in the CBO's projections that we got yesterday versus the last 50 years is that typically you tend to see deficits go up, they come down, they go up, they come down. Now, for the next 10 years, we're expecting trillion-dollar-plus deficits every year. So the deficit-to-GDP ratio is going to go up to close to 5%. For the last 50 years, that was around 3%. So deficits are going up. Really, the, the big difference in the next 10 years, or at least in the last 10 years, has been that interest rates have been low. So debt servicing costs have been, have been so, so quite low. My,
1: my eye just started twitching when you started having some of those numbers. But, but so when you look at these numbers, which, by the way, we really haven't seen those levels since wartime yeah. and like 1792. or I mean, literally something like that. Uh, does that mean that the Federal Reserve and the bond market must at all costs, literally at all costs, keep rates low for a decade.
3: Well, that's, that's kind of what they, you know, by default, that's what's going to happen, right? Because it's not just the government's debt servicing costs, it's also the corporations. Corporations are taking on a lot of debt. And the corporate debt servicing costs are, for, for now, uh, kept under a lid because general level of interest rates are, are quite low. That's one of the reasons why it's going to be very, very hard for 10-year Treasury yields to meaningfully rise above 2%.
4: The other thing, Brian, is that it, but don't look at just Purely as, as a supply-driven story where you have lots of deficits and, therefore, rates have to go up. I mean, Japan has a debt to GDP that's approaching 300%, and yet its rates are extraordinarily low, in part because of BOJ. But even without those actions, rates mm-hmm. have been low. So there's a lot of factors that go into rates and where the neutral rate is and the aging of the population, demographics, and whatnot. I'm, the view I think it needs to be espoused, more importantly, is you need growth. Growth lifts all, I mean, maybe not equally all, ideally as we'd want, but growth lifts all
5: boats.
3: But where is that growth yeah. going to come from, though? Oh, well, I'll
4: tell you where it's going to come housing, from. Housing, CapEx,
5: manufacturing.
1: From
4: so CapEx. Deficits
5: just don't matter. Well, I mean, listen, over the last 10 years, you've seen on a year-over-year basis deficits increase, including the last year of President Obama. And a lot was. of doomsday talk going with it. Exactly, but... You have to remember too, 10 years ago after the crisis was the largest asset shift in the history of our country. We went from stocks to cash and then cash to fixed income. For all intents and purposes, Brian, we haven't seen that what we've been waiting for, this great rotation back into equities because 8 out of the last 10 years, we've had more people selling equities been buying equities. We've had inflows into bonds. But I think the key thing from an investor standpoint is you want to look at the pillars of growth of the United States in terms of sectors. Yeah. It's technology. It's communication services. It's the consumer. It's consumer discretionary. And oh, by the way, yes, financials, but not all financials, especially the big money center banks. It's
1: like five technology companies, which are like 83% of the markets gain in the last five years. But that's for a different segment because that doesn't well, matter. Let's not get too we gotta, serious. We got to go. I love this panel, <laughs> By the way, the, the rare exchange Triple play. Well, you bring us back. (laughs) We will. We'll bring you back. Brian, Subodra, Joe, great stuff. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. All right, now, let's get the very latest on the coronavirus outbreak. Here's what we know at this hour from the WHO. They held a press conference in the last hour. There are now 6,166 cases, with more than 90% of them in China, and the virus is now in 16 different nations. The WHO is saying there are now signs of human-to-human spread of the coronavirus in three other countries. They are positive, though that the chain of the virus transmission can still be interrupted. On China, they added that the country has a, quote, laser focus on stopping the outbreak, and the government is willing to take significant economic and other hits to put people's health first. Let's get more now on the ground reporting from Yunus Yun, who is live in Beijing. And Yunus, we look at the numbers. We'll try to find some optimism. We look sort of, you know, day to day. It appears that the growth in the numbers, the numbers are still bad. But the growth to directory seems to have slowed maybe just a touch.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, still, though, uh, the Chinese authorities are really trying to get people not to travel. In fact, uh, just today, uh, another province um, joined the several other provincial governments in uh, trying to discourage companies as well as laborers from coming back to work. So Anhui and Hubei province both um, are the latest ones. But uh, the provinces across the country have been saying that, uh, uh, that for the most part, they don't want these uh, companies to resume work at least until February 9th for Hubei province, which is the province which was most affected by the um, outbreak. uh, They are extending uh, their order to February 13th. A lot of this is because um, they're worried about the number of people who would be uh, feeling obligated to continue to travel and go back to their offices. Uh, The uh, centers, though, are all all of these provinces are major uh, manufacturing hubs for everything from autos to electronics and to household goods. Uh, the government has also turned its attention to trying to ensure supplies. In fact, the agricultural ministry is calling on all farms to switch into gear and plant quick-growing vegetables because it's getting more difficult, even in the big cities, to um, have pre- uh, find fresh produce, uh, Brian. One other thing I just want to throw out there, they're also trying to be careful about price gouging. In fact, there was one drugstore here in Beijing that was fined 430 thousand dollars because it's been charging um, for a box of three masks. It's charging one hundred and twenty one dollars instead of 20. So about six times more. And because of that, they got this major fine to make sure nobody else does it.
1: Wow. That's bad practice. And they got hit probably for the good thing. Yunishun in Beijing. Thank you very much.
6: All right. Here's what else is
1: ahead on the exchange.
6: Apple smashes iPhone and sales expectations and hits an all-time high. But the company says the coronavirus will have an impact. We'll discuss. Plus, as the saying goes, one man's trash is another one's treasure. One restaurant removes Beyond Meat from its menu, while another expands its partnership. And we'll hear from Boeing's CEO following its latest results. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to The
1: Exchange. Apple shares are hitting new all-time highs again today after pretty much smashing earnings estimates for the fiscal first quarter. We're thrilled to report Apple's biggest quarter ever, which set new all-time records in both revenue and earnings. Driving Apple's record quarter, well, first, a big comeback for iPhone sales, up 8% in the fiscal first quarter. And then there's this, monster growth in their wearables division, sales surging 37% year over year. Wearables, which are the AirPods, Apple TV, and other accessories, the watch, reached nearly $25 billion in sales last year. Put that into perspective. That Apple business, which basically did not exist just five years ago, now roughly has the same annual sales as Starbucks and Visa. Now, it is not all wine, roses, and AirPods. There may be a few clouds in the horizon for Apple with the coronavirus outbreak causing Apple to hedge its guidance for fiscal 2Q. Tim Cook telling Josh Lipton, quote, you can see from the range of guidance that it anticipates some level of issues there. Otherwise, we would not have a $4 billion range in that guidance. For more on what is ahead for Apple, let's bring in Laura Martin, senior internet and media analyst at Needham and Company. I think those numbers, fair to say, Laura, last night were pretty surprising to even some of the more bulls on Apple.
7: Yep. Apple's our convictionless name, and they reported $92 billion of revenue versus consensus of about $88 billion. All of it was led by over-delivery of iPhones. This iPhone 11 and its sisters um, is, uh, was the number one selling iPhone in every single week of the quarter, Tim Cook said, and they delivered $56 billion of revenue for iPhones versus about a $50 billion consensus estimate. So that all means that, uh, and they also said that they had a billion five active devices, which is up 100 million devices year over year. So we're getting more people into the ecosystem of Apple, more devices in that ecosystem. I wanted to make the note on your wearables comment, Brian, that 37% growth in wearables, despite the fact they ran out of both watches and AirPods. AirPods, amazing.
1: They, they're amazing. actually out of stock in many of these products. Yeah. The AirPod Pro, I think, is a couple month wait. Correct?
7: Yeah, it is. So that it's going to be even better when they actually get those back in stock.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's just walk down the street in New York. I mean, everybody's got the white AirPods in their ear. I tried to talk to my daughter last night at home. She wasn't responding. I realized she had the AirPods in under her hair, probably <laughs> drowning out her annoying father. That said, there was something in the ten the ten K that I saw that that worried me a little bit. Where they said that net sales overall might have fallen a bit, and there's a fear that perhaps the wearables might be cannibalizing maybe the phone business. Any risk there?
7: You know, I would actually think of wearables as an on-ramp into the ecosystem. We are hearing anecdotal evidence, and actually Tim Cook mentioned it in answer to a question, that some people are buying the watch first, and after they get the watch, um, this phone is actually where the memory for the watch resides. Uh, so, actually, that's the on-ramp. So, I would say no wearables to me add another form of value, which is a like lower cost on-ramp into the ecosystem of Apple. And I think what we're seeing with 480 million subscribers, which is one year be- ahead of schedule for them, is that they're selling more stuff to each subscriber, or what I would call—I would call it a subscriber—they would call it an iPhone owner yeah. user—and that means that their lifetime value per user is higher. So anything that brings somebody into their ecosystem, Apple's figuring out a way to get paid more by these users.
1: It's like the new Eagles song, "Hotel Cupertino," right? I mean, you can buy anytime <laughs> you like, but you can never leave. You can. Never you, leave. you got four nine 99 for Apple TV, 499 for Apple Arcade, 999 for Apple News, 1599 for Apple, you know, Music, Match, iTunes. Pretty soon you're kicking Apple a 40 to 50 dollars a month annuity effectively. How high can this stock go?
7: Um, so it's our conviction stock name for this year, and we continue to think there's upside to earnings, and we continue to think that there's upside to their valuation multiple as people recalculate the lifetime value per user inside their ecosystem. They're doing a great job at Apple.
1: And a conviction by Laura Martin and Needham. Laura, is a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. All right, on deck. Starbucks also beating on earnings, but again, cautioning that the Wuhan virus could change the 2020 outlook. We'll talk about that and everything else in rapid fire. And we believe this airplane is safer than the safest airplane flying today, end quote. That is what Boeing CEO David Calhoun told Phil LeBeau. And that's not all he said. This on a day where Boeing reports its first annual loss in more than 20 years, Phil, in an outstanding 15-minute interview with Mr. Calhoun. We'll bring you that story ahead. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. Check it out. The Exchange Packager. And welcome back to The Exchange. Here are some of your individual movers at this hour. Shares of L Brands are up nearly 13 percent, following reports that its CEO is in talks to step aside, which could result in a full or partial sale of the Victoria's Secret brands. Remember L Brands? It's had a lot of analyst upgrades the last couple of weeks. Shares of GE, they're also soaring up nearly 10 percent, this after beating on both the top and bottom lines. Results were boosted by strength in its aviation business. CEO Larry Cope telling Seema Modi he sees 2020 as a year of transformation. Investors certainly hope so. And shares... AMD, they're down nearly 7%. That on a disappointing quarter. Guidance with demand from video game console makers slowing all ahead of the launch of some new systems. AMD, though, still one of the best performing stocks in the market over the last couple of months. All right, let's step outside the world of business and get a CNBC News update right now with Sue Herrera.
8: Thanks so much, Brian. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. As the impeachment trial shifts to questions from senators, Democrats are doubling down on the push for witnesses. They need at least four GOP senators to join them to reach the 51 votes required to call witnesses.
6: I remain hopeful that four Republican senators will join us in supporting witnesses and documents in this trial. It's an uphill fight, as I've always said, But the public is on our side, and truth, above all, is on our side.
8: A dramatic scene in Los Angeles where firefighters are responding to a blaze in a 25-story residential building in the Brentwood section of the city. Authorities say there are reports that an unspecified number of people jumped. As you look at this live picture right now, part of that fire has been knocked down, but one person was critically injured and people were on the roof at one point as the flames and smoke rose from the sixth floor. Some of those had to be rescued by L.A. firefighter helicopters. And a SpaceX rocket was successfully launched at Cape Canaveral this morning, the Falcon 9 rocket carrying 60 Starlink broadband satellites. It's part of SpaceX's pursuit of creating a network of satellites to provide affordable Internet access across the world. A busy news day. That is the news update this hour. Brian, I'll send it back to you.
1: You know, Sue, you and I are both from Los Angeles, yep. and it's it's had a tough couple of days. So we got to send out some good wishes to everybody out west.
8: Absolutely. And, and, you know, to the people that were affected by that, it must have been a terrifying experience. Oh,
1: it's just an unbelievable story. Yeah. Sue, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Hopefully everybody's all right. All right, coming up on The Exchange, the coffee could get a little colder at Starbucks this year. Gaming companies getting into media, and Warren Buffett says... Goodbye to the newspaper business, plus more in the big restaurant battle over Beyond Meat. Rapid Fire is next. Coffee, media meets gaming, and fickle fast food. It is time for what else? Rapid Fire. Here now to break down some of the stories you need to hear about with their takes, Kate Rogers, Dominic Chu, and Contessa Brewer. Ready? Ready. 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 First, we're going to go even if you're not. (laughs) <laughs> Shares of Starbucks slipping after reporting earnings. Investors concerned about what else? The potential fallout of the coronavirus in China. Starbucks noting in its earnings that the virus will materially affect its fiscal 2020. They have closed more than half of their Chinese locations because of that virus. And the Starbucks CEO telling Squawk on the street earlier today that more may close. Look, we're dealing with this on a daily
9: basis. And so when, when there's a concern, we will close stores. And uh, we're going
1: to do it responsibly and thoughtfully. Kate Rogers, it's not just the closed stores. The stores that do remain open apparently are also seeing their sales That's fall. That's
10: right, because not as many people are going out right now. Clearly, people are really concerned. What's really fascinating about this is that Starbucks said it had one of its best holiday quarters ever in the company's history. And because of that, it had been looking to raise its guidance. And then when the coronavirus came out, now, as you said, it could materially affect you know, their sales moving forward. So they're... Potentially going to have to lower their guidance. Um, China is their second home market. Those are Starbucks leaders' words about that market for them. They're really pushing aggressively into it. They've got a lot of competition. But it's competition. only ten percent
1: of their sales. It
10: is. They've got a lot of competition from Luckin, and they're seeing uh, China sales continue to grow quarter after quarter. So it is really important to them. And as you said, more than half of the it seems like Luckin. The, the long term, term the l-
1: would be a bigger threat the l- than the coronavirus. Sure.
2: Fair oh, enough. Course, but, yeah. but 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 at, th- at this point, the transparency is if you if you if you're ten percent of sales. You adjust the, half. Yes, you adjust the models for traffic, so it just means the analyst expectations for comparable store sales globally. Then gets ratcheted are, they, down are they getting
11: any boost in delivery? Because they, they don't, don't they have a partnership with Alibaba to deliver? They,
10: they do, and that was brought up on Squawk on the Street this morning. Mm-hmm. But the issue is, is that all of their stores in the Hubei province are currently closed right now. So if those stores are closed, you can't do delivery there. So that's something that they're not really able to capitalize on, and they're obviously monitoring it and may close more. So we'll have to
1: see. All right, topic two, the world of media, sports, and gambling colliding in a big way. Penn National Gaming agreeing to buy a 36% stake in Barstool Sports. It values Barstool at $450 million bucks, by the way. Penn National will get exclusive rights to Barstool's brand and access to its audience of roughly 66 million people, most of whom are sort of young guys. <laughs> the stock is having its best day since October of 2001. Contessa Brewer, really interesting move. Penn National, kind of a you know mid-market well, gaming company, largest? going with a contra- fairly controversial
11: sort of sports site largest domestic gaming company as it stands right now they have 41 properties over 19 states their average gamblers about in their 50s they're looking to lower that age and how do you do that you partner for your sports betting moves with a company that is known for their 20 year olds 30 year olds reverence you know half of whom they think are already gamblers and on average bet more than 51 dollars a pop so this is an audience that Penn wants it is such a big deal that uh, JP Morgan has already, its analyst has already raised a price target by five bucks now to uh, $33. Macquarie says that Penn could stand to position itself now to capture 10 to 15 percent of the U.S. domestic sports betting market. That's a really big deal. And yeah. they retain the right to have complete um, a majority stake fifty percent in three years
2: so this is a this is a big deal because what it does do is it brings an added level to the sports betting franchise which is the personalities involved in barstool sports Mm -hmm. so this is very much media meets gambling like you said but there's a cult following that Barstool has, and if you can even translate some of that into additional gaming revenue, get them to that's go to big. the pen. get them to go to, right. To, by to the way, I think I saw. I think else. I saw
1: this morning. Shannon Sharp of Fox joined Fox Bet. Like the so there was two pieces of news, sports and gambling just coming right together. Right together. All right. By the way, tune into Mad Money tonight because Jim Cramer's got an interview with both the CEO of Penn National Gaming and. He is called the Stool Presidente. Dave Portnoy, the The CEO and founder of Barstool Sports, will be on with Jim tonight. That should be a a good one, an interesting one. Absolutely. It has been quite a dramatic 24 hours for Beyond Meat, if you can have fake meat be dramatic. Tim Hortons pulling Beyond Meat offerings from its menus in both Ontario and British Columbia, saying consumers were simply just not that excited about the Beyond Meat menu items that they anticipated. But on the other side... KFC announcing it will roll out Beyond Meat's plant-based fried chicken in the southern U.S. because of strong consumer demand. Kate Rogers, how do we read this?
10: You know, it's a really confusing one. The KFC test that they did with Beyond Meat this summer sold out in less than five hours. I think customers are very curious, what does Beyond Fried Chicken actually taste like? Do they like it? Do they keep coming back? In the case of Tim Hortons, it didn't work did we out. You know why? Uh I, pe- Everybody people likes think sausage? it could be could be a fad. No, I, I think mean, it was who a sitcom
2: knows. in the '80s. Uh, I mean, Burger King had a huge blast off with the Impossible Whopper initially, and, we, and we've seen that momentum fade mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So this might just be this idea that there, there's a fad food element, there's a novelty out there for it, and then you'll start to see these things fade. So
1: I think I think Dom, listen, you're a former mutual fund manager. From an investment perspective, I think when you look at Beyond Meat. Like we talked about a couple of days ago, wouldn't you like to see a, a store, whatever the chain is, have it, and then increase the offerings over time? Because that says there's consumer pickup. Yes, people and, like and it enough so They need more.
2: Here's what I would say. I, I'd say that right now, that the data point that you'll be looking for now is going to be Dunkin' Brands. Because what they do have is the Yum meat Sausage Patty. Mm-hmm. If you can see some traction there, then maybe there is a publicly traded entity that has to report results that is showing some kind of momentum. But for right now, Yum! Brands seems to be the only one that's really showing that kind of a sign. Well, okay, go ahead. One, one
10: other quick thought. Uh, McDonald's, obviously, everybody's still waiting. They did tease a burger announcement of some sorts of this year on the earnings call, but their new campaign is all about their actual beef burgers and how great they look and all these great not- close-up shots of- that so, if they're doing the smart opposite company, of what maybe else they, is doing, they
1: know something we I mean, don't look
10: at their quarter, right? Maybe they
1: were smart by waiting, and we'll see. All right, finally, Warren Buffett's kind of a sad story throwing the towel in on the newspaper business. Berkshire Hathaway is selling its newspaper empire to Lee Enterprises for just 140 million dollars. Berkshire is known for almost never selling anything or any kind of its operating company. So, Dom. It's kind of a rare move and, and kind of a sign of the times given he you know, Warren Buffett had been such a big newspaper supporter.
2: Well and not just that. I I still continue to believe that local news is probably one of the things that you want to invest in because it's boots on the ground. It's places where you kind of get that, that feel for the real stories in America. And, and the fact that these things are going away kind of saddens, saddens us a little bit of uh, uh, the, the overall picture. The issue is whether or not that's favoring things because of technological advances like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, other big ones where people just increasingly go to because they've become magnets for eyeballs in terms of the, the overall technology I and just, social media space.
11: I just see this differently. Number one, Buffett still has got a piece of the action because he's lending Lee $576 million at 9% interest. So it's not like it, it, it no longer matters to him whether these businesses do well because he wants them to be able to pay the interest on the loan they're taking out. The other thing But right, that
1: also says that Lee Enterprises probably couldn't get debt because there's no reason to pay 9% when unless, can,
2: unless that, when the that's keeping the interest rate's only way so you, that, you can go. That's true. And, go.
11: And, and having worked in local news for much of my career, I will say this. When people go in and they want to make money at local news, what they do is they often cut costs. And Lee says that they're going to be able to do that here. They have to watch out because what makes local news valuable is when you are delivering a service that everyone wants. And how do you do that? deliver quality local news. And you can't do that it's, if you don't invest in journalism. It, it,
1: listen, it's sad. You wonder where the kids are going to get their local news from down the road if anybody cares. And even if you don't care about... Well, local social media. There have been a, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but who... Social media. But there has to be somebody behind... It can't just be Joe on Twitter is giving but you it news. Is. That's, that's the, the new paradigm. are no, making stuff that's up. The, just, that's But scary. they're making scary. stuff
2: up. I know, and that's what's
1: scary about it. That's me. the point. There has to be... Because they, they, there's been proof. It raises municipal borrowing costs... When crooked politicians are not investigated, because they can just do what they want, we need to have some kind of. Lo- By the way, you want to see your kid in paper hitting a home run, right? I mean, yes. we remember yes. that as a kid. You're like, oh look, Dom choose. My parents still things of
2: all of my my whatever I did in yeah. the local news when I was a kid. Still, we, we, we want to see them. We want to see them. In a shoe Bring, box them in. Shoe box Bring them, them. in. <laughs> all
1: right, Kate Rogers wins that round. Kate, yes. Dom, and Katessa, <laughs> thank you both very much. Appreciate it. All right, still ahead, Facebook higher with earnings on deck tonight. The key things you need to watch for coming up. Plus. You know those Facebook memory alerts you get in your news feed? Well, we're going to do the same for Facebook. We've got the good, the bad, and the really ugly of Facebook in the last two years, along with the surprising outcome.
6: Deeper data at CNBC. December orders for non-defense capital goods fell 6.5% from year-ago levels. Excluding aircraft, that figure was down 9 tenths of a percent.
1: talk about facebook shall we the social giant is set to report earnings after the bell tonight the stock is near all-time highs but this march will mark the two-year anniversary of the company's infamous cambridge analytica scandal that wiped 36 billion in stock market value in a single day the scandal exposed facebook and put it in the spotlight for its vulnerabilities and be able to protect your data it was the first blow in what eventually became a very rough two years let's walk through it shall we In April of 2018, Facebook said it was really 87 million people that were exposed. That led Congress to demand Mark Zuckerberg testify, and he did, for a grueling two days. Testimony cost that stock and investors another 5%. Another scandal breaks in June, with the phone device makers accessing even more data. Fast forward one month, and the stock tanks 19% because earnings growth slowed down. Believe it or not, it really only got worse from there. The executive exodus began. The FTC fined them a record $5 billion. The New York Attorney General began an antitrust investigation, which is then later joined by another 46 state attorneys general. Throughout this, lots of folks, from consumers to strategists, said that Facebook users, they're gone. They're going to leave the service over all those concerns about privacy. They're going to delete their account, use it less and less, and investors would simply turn on the company. But the number of users has only continued to grow. Bottom line while the stock may have had its ups and downs two years later. All that stuff we talked about didn't seem to matter at all. For more, we're joined by Kevin Rippey from Evercore ISI and James Chalkmok, partner at Clockwise Capital. Kevin, I'm going to start with you. We just walked through this timeline with all these high-profile problems, and yet nobody seems to care. How
9: come? Well, I would suggest that it's not that people haven't cared. We've seen a lot of volatility in the stock over the last two years, but, you know, reality's proven that consumers continue to go to Facebook more and more each day. You know, Instagram has proven a huge engine of, uh, of growth, and now the stock is back uh, very near all-time highs, so I, I, again, I wouldn't say that we haven't really thought about this. Investors have had two years to contemplate a lot of different risk characteristics, and and they've come to the view that, you know, the earnings growth profile remains very compelling, and the opportunity set uh, ahead for the next two years is probably very attractive as well.
1: James, is anybody actually canceling their account, or is it just people say they're going to do it and then they just leave it up because they, they want to see their friend's dogs?
12: Yeah, I mean, look, Facebook is a phenomenal company. I think 4Q is seasonally strong, not to worry there. But when you think about whether to own the stock or not, you know, uh, you have to call Facebook for what it is. It's a giant media company with a massive infrastructure. And I think to your point, it keeps growing. The reason it kept growing is because the ROI thresholds have been so attractive. And one of the things that we're looking at is how sustainable are the ROI thresholds for their ad units? Are they approaching a peak? Have they peaked? And uh, there's uncertainty around the ROI for their newer ad units, like on stories that's uh, the next lever of growth for them. And I think you're seeing that uh, in the revenue upside that we saw for 2019, only 3% revenue upside versus 30% accretion in the stock price. And I think that multiple expansion story has left the barn. In the meantime, you have ever-increasing costs as it relates to infrastructure, privacy, security, content, content, oversight. So I think you have to ask those questions as you look into the coming quarters. Kevin, does the election pose any risk to Facebook? Because, by the way, I think I've heard that, you know,
1: some people think Facebook was involved. You know, so I'm wondering, as we head to even a more contentious election, what's Facebook's role going to be? Are investors going to get nervous about it? Well,
9: I I think investors perhaps do start to think about is this going to be a replay of 2016. But what I would point to is the fact that, again, this is now, you know, three years after the, uh, the initial concerns we had around, you know, privacy scandals, the election of Donald Trump, perhaps the action of, of bad actors there. And, you know, Facebook in that time has taken, I would say, you know, pretty aggressive steps to curb a repeat of that scenario. Uh, and, you know, as we think through, you know, the potential impact, engagement, you know, uh, on the election, it seems like that should be, you know, relatively benign. Uh, we shouldn't really worry as to, you know, if, you know, the Russians will, yeah. will participate again. Uh, it, it seems that is there, this J- year...
1: James, I, I'm sorry to mm-hmm. jump in like this, Kevin, just time, you know, 10 years ago, everybody was on MySpace. Literally, I mean, News Corp right. paid whatever hundreds of millions of dollars they did, and then, now it's gone. Maybe the risk to Facebook is just boredom or a better platform comes along.
12: Yeah, I mean, look, that, that's a risk with, even Bezos says that Amazon is not immune, you know, in, in the foreseeable future. Um, but ultimately, I think the Facebook engagement is less of a concern as you evaluate Facebook. I think it's their return structures. I mean, for example, we've been talking about, For years, a lot of people have been talking about monetization as it relates to WhatsApp, Messenger. You know, when is that going to happen? Is that realistic near term? What are the return thresholds relative to legacy Facebook, Instagram? I think those are the things you need to look at and less so engagement because ultimately they are still number one as it relates to social media.
1: I don't know how you put ads on a platform that's supposed to be encrypted that doesn't know what you're doing, but that's for another conversation. Kevin Rapia and James Chalkmok, Guys, appreciate that. Facebook earnings, they are out tonight. Coming up. Boeing posting its first annual loss in more than 20 years as the 737 Max crisis drags on. Phil LeBeau spoke with CEO Dave Calhoun about the company, culture, transparency, and a whole lot more. Phil will join us live next. And tune into the closing bell today for an interview with White House Director of Trade and Manufacturing Policy, Peter Navarro, the always fiery Navarro, coming up at 4 o'clock Eastern time. The Exchange back in two minutes. Well, sure, is Boeing, a rare day hire after new CEO David Calhoun seemingly gave investors something to believe in. He spoke of Phil Lebeau earlier today in a long-ranging interview on a day where the company posted its first annual loss in more than 20 years. Phil joins us now with more. And, Phil, I, literally the interview was, I think, 14 or 15 minutes. I mean, yeah. aw- awesome stuff. I mean, Calhoun, you came in. He came in hot. What were some of the main takeaways? Well, there's a couple of things.
13: First of all, the stock's moving higher, mainly because David Calhoun is saying, hey, look, this is a realistic expectation in terms of when the MAX will be back in service. And yes, Boeing did announce that it's going to have costs associated with the MAX now topping $18 billion among the new costs. Paying the airlines, aircraft leasing companies, another $2.6 billion. The overall cost to produce this over the lifetime of the airplane, another $2.6 billion. And then shutting down and restarting the assembly line, that's going to cost $4 billion. But as I mentioned, CEO Dave Calhoun once again reaffirmed his guidance that by mid-year, they hope to have the 737 MAX Ungrounded that 's based on conversations with regulators, based on their conversations with the people who are working, on the fixes. Here he is talking about how important it is that he is giving realistic guidance to investors.
12: The media, my
1: uh, customers, our employees they 'll judge me every step of the way here i 'm not going to predict it 's going to be perfect. Um, but what I will do is I will, I will put realism into every one of our assessments every step of the way, and I will listen to everybody that's involved directly in the process.
13: And as you take a look at shares of Boeing, yes, this was the first annual net loss since 1997. But again, Brian, what people are focused on is what happens with the MAX, and more importantly, whether or not they believe in the latest guidance that Boeing put out a couple of weeks
1: ago, that this plane should be ungrounded by the middle of the year. And what stuck out to me was how adamant and forceful David Calhoun was, Phil, where he was like, I am not going to say when this plane will fly. It's the FAA. It's not me. I mean, he did the exact opposite of Mullenberg. Absolutely. And I should also point out one other thing that stands out when you
13: talk with Dave Calhoun. There is not this sense of... Well, this is what we're doing, and the regulators are going to go along for whatever we tell them we're doing. No, it is much more in line with... We're talking with the regulators. This is what we believe, but we know that we have to talk with them, and we know that they're going to push back on some of the assumptions or some of the things we put out there. Very much working with the regulators as opposed to saying this is what we're doing.
1: Yeah, great stuff, Phil Thank you, Phil. You've worked like literally like six weeks straight every day, but we do appreciate it. <laughs> I got caught over here. You really? I bet you do. Sleep. I bet you do. Thank you very much, <laughs> Phil By the way, check out Phil's whole interview. The whole thing is online on CBC.com. Phil, thank you very much. All right. That does it a little bit early for the exchange. Why are we going out early? The first Fed decision of the decade will pick up. Power Lunch Live on the other side of this break. Give you a preview. Two o'clock. You got that Fed decision. I'll see you later.
0: You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.